Spags, we were up late last night on the Ship Chasing Draft live stream, and today we're going to offer more sober, calculated, analytic analysis on what happened last night. Yeah, Pete and I hung out in a live stream full of very smart people so we could steal all their ideas and bring them to you today with our NFL Draft 2022 fantasy reaction. We're also going to talk about the USFL Week 3 DFS, though. Uh, let's be honest, the NFL Draft is where our hearts are, so Pete, hit that intro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And once again, I'm Chris Spags, joined by your friend of mine, Pete Overzet. Pete, how are you doing after uh, we, we were talking about it before the show? But on that ship chase extreme, Pete ended up in the, the pink sunglasses by the end of the night. And that's how you could tell that Party Pete is fully available. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't been drinking a bunch since uh, my trip to Hawaii where I was on full, you know, eat and drink whatever I want. And uh, and so I think my tolerance is down. And boy, did I feel that this morning. I don't even think I drank that much. I had a couple margaritas, maybe a six pack of Modelo's, but that was all it took for me to have a hellish morning. I feel like when you set the baseline with margaritas and then you add the beers on top, you're just like, that's like kind of slowly stacking the chips up. And then you put the beers on and the chips are just going to fall where they may. Yeah. And I, the sunglass thing, I went on the underdog stream for a second and I think Josh had his sunglasses cause that was his bit from last year when he was in, you know, uh, God mode on his mock draft, he threw those on. And so I said, you know, we gotta, we gotta throw them on for old time's sake. Yeah. And you know, got to respect these, the sportsmanship there doing multiple streams and shout out to underdog. I know there were a bunch of streams going on last night, people trying to uh, get the attention out there. But if you hung out with us on that ship chasing stream, we appreciate it a bunch. And if you missed it, uh, you know, watch some of the reactions afterwards. If you want to see the reactions to Pete, endless defensive players taken on a fantasy football focused stream. Uh, the joy being sapped into that room was, was really unparalleled in the content world. Yeah, it was uh, it was a very fun time last night. We had, I thought, a very good mix of uh, analysis and uh, sloppy fun. So hopefully people who tuned in for that enjoyed it. Yeah, so let's uh, talk about some of this other stuff, including the NFL draft. But first of all, make sure you are checking out footballoutsiders.com. Whether you are subscribing at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, and you're going to want to do that in the coming months because the Football Outsiders Almanac that has more data, more analysis than you could possibly ever want in your life. It's going to be there at your fingertips to make you sharper for football season. So that's coming out in July. But get in now. Lots of great stuff behind the paywall. If you want to review some things from last year as well, um, lots of great data points, including DVOA. But check out the articles. I think Mike Tanier, Derek Klassen are our draft guys really did a good job to me uh, helping me get ready to be in a room like we were yesterday for ship chasing and actually know uh, some of the rookies that we were talking about, but not just the fantasy guys. Of course, we're talking about the real life players that are going to matter the most guys like sauce Gardner, some of the defensive tackles that probably don't care a lot about when you're seeing in the NFL draft if you're a fantasy football fan, but they're probably going to matter more for real football than you may realize. Let's go check that out at footballoutsiders.com. And also where I assume we're going to be back in the best ball streets next week, depending on when all the new tournaments come out with all these rookies and where they land so go play along with us over at underdog use the promo code splash for up to a 100 deposit match it's gonna be great to play along with us on there we have a lot of fun doing this on shows of course pete's doing it pretty much everywhere on every corner of the internet but uh that's something that we are always having fun with over at underdog so go use that promo code splash for doubling your deposit up to 100 pete nfl draft though let's get into it where i think the big news is going to be the trades uh we also 
we need to give ourselves a pat on the back because it didn't look great for us with the props that we took on Monday during the early part of the draft, uh, but then ended up hitting our, both the Kenny Pickett over 12 and a half was where we had uh, shaked out, put that clip out on social media. We also had under six and a half wide receivers in the first round, much to the consternation of one Davis Maddock. was sweating <laughs> that out last minute, had the over on it, not end up hitting, and also under 2.5 QBs ended up hitting. So I feel like for a prop betting show that we did just to fill some time on Monday shopping around on DraftKings, we are perhaps the sharpest analysis uh, other than saying analysts analysis is this out there pete is what we are for the nfl draft prop world yeah you know and uh i didn't actually have any skin in the game you know i just went full tout said what i liked but didn't uh get my bets down but breaking news last night as well sports betting legalized in massachusetts i actually didn't read the fine print to see when that will actually kick in to effect with some of the books but by this time next year, Spags, I'll be able to on stream be making bets uh, in real time. It should be good. I am. Uh, so you can't. We talked about this on the Monday show in Pennsylvania. You couldn't place bets on NFL draft related outcomes for whatever reason. In Jersey, you can. In a lot of the other legal states, you can. But it's something with it being a I don't know, like a binary event. I think is what the legal language on it is. Um. So I've just been betting MLB a lot, and I have to say, Pete, um, one one and a half run lines in baseball might be the my favorite bet that I've come across overall. Like I've been crushing with them. I'm up like, you know, I don't want to you know, up four figures, Pete, but it, it feels good to go that way. And I felt wow. I need that in my life because I saw your your pal Elliot Chris, the new CEO of Fantasy Life, up 99 units or whatever with NFL draft props. So kudos to you if you're able to get them. I can't. So I have to bet Padres Reds games at one in the afternoon. Yeah, all all of those grinders. I I mean, you asked me on the last show who were the guys that you would tail for prop bets, and I said Elliot Christ and Anthony Amico, and both of them had massive nights. The ETR guys had a trifecta at forty to one on the first three picks off the board. Um, so yeah, these uh, it's definitely a beatable market if you're able to get the action down, if you're able to line shop, uh, and as Anthony would say or Adam would say, if you're willing to grind your cock off, uh, there's apparently money to be made. So yeah, it was fun doing that show on Monday, fun doing the show yesterday. And again, you know, we will always talk on this show. We'll try to bring in the best minds for this stuff. Sometimes that is just going to be me and Pete uh, talking about things with the information we get from other people. But um, that is always the goal of this show is to try to give you guys the best to get up. So shout out to everybody who did tail either ETR or Elliot Christ or, or Anthony Amico, anybody else out there. And we hope you guys had success betting on the NFL draft. But Pete, any overarching themes for you want to hit on? I think we need to cover the trades first, some big wide receiver moves that I know are going to be very important for fantasy. We also have the draft itself. Self, but any overview you want to give here, if you want to soapbox, give a little monologue on what you felt during this NFL draft 2022. I think what, I mean, what was interesting, um, both of the kind of steam things for fantasy, the NFL being down on these quarterbacks was clearly proven true with just Kenny Pickett going and the enthusiasm for the wide receivers was proven true. You know, having those six guys go between pick eight and 18. And I think what was interesting is, Everyone thought there'd be a lot of receivers going, but they thought they would be in the back half of the draft. And a lot of these, you know, the Packers, the Chiefs, everyone thought, oh, these guys are going to be ideal landing spots. It, they ended up being so valuable that they never even made it to those spots. And then instead of reaching, you know, teams like the Chiefs and the Packers decided to go with other positions that they thought, clearly they thought there was a tear break after those top six. So I think that's what's interesting. And now we're kind of left with situations where, at least for Dynasty, um, there isn't like a real smash 101. I know the the Brees Hall truthers are holding out hope that he ends up somewhere good and he'll definitely be a candidate. But, you know, you can look at Traylon Burks and, or sorry, Traylon Burks, as I learned today from Soccer Dave, and, and, um, and Drake London. And, you know, 
all the volume and opportunity in the world is going to be there, but you can have legitimate worries about the quarterback, about the offense, uh, how efficient they could be. You can see what Kyle Pitts did last year as an elite talent in a bad offense. It, it can be ugly. So I think this is going to be wide open as far as how the market ultimately kind of views these wide receivers for both season long best ball and, and in dynasty. So the main thing to me, and, and like, I agree with most of your takes there. What I read, it was a little bit differently though, is that I think there's going to be teams out there that are willing to pay receivers, especially if they feel like the talent level is in line with what the contract's worth. But I think teams like Titans, and I don't know if Pete, if you saw the reaction from Mike Vrabel on that social media clip of him kind of like stomping around the room after the trade went through that they traded AJ Brown away, got the 18 pick. I think he wasn't happy about that, even though uh, Traylon Burks apparently does have a lot of comps to AJ Brown that sharp people have been pointing out for pretty much the entire draft process and ended up really materializing in a real way. But I think, the, you know, the Titans, the Packers, the, the Chiefs, to a somewhat lesser extent. Yeah, there you can see the Mike Vrabel clip here. He is uh, looking like a not happy man, at, at containing it better than you would think that Mike Vrabel would, given what we know of his meathead general uh, visage. Yeah, I mean, these guys, even even uh, being hotheads, they do know that they're on camera. <laughs> they know that this clip, you could see wanted to just punch a hole in the drywall, and he's like, nope, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, it's I mean, I would be frustrated, too, if you lose a guy like A.J. Brown and maybe you also as a coach or, you know, as a variable, certainly more focused on the defensive side. But, you know, he's overseeing everything there. Didn't get the most out of A.J. Brown, I would think, especially this past year where you had Julio Jones so banged up, felt like they could have forced the ball more to him. He's very efficient with his touches, as uh, Mike Leone was pointing out on the ship chasing stream yesterday. But still a guy that for the most part wasn't getting that star treatment, getting fed the ball over and over again, like we know these guys like. So if you're Mike Vrabel, I think if you're going to be mad at anybody, you you could have made him worth that contract the Eagles ended up giving him. But I think overall, that's where I'm feeling with the Pete is like, I think that there are some teams that just don't want to pay wide receivers like the hundred million dollar men that they're now getting coined as. And I think that's going to be something that comes to a head. And I, you know, like I feel like I've said this the last few weeks, the Debo Samuel one uh, being another case that I think is starting to materialize where the Niners are just going to force him to play or, or force them to not show up in the off season. It sounds like, I think in this spot, I just feel like there's going to be teams like the Packers have never taken a first round wide receiver. Haven't the entire time that Aaron Rodgers has been here. We've heard that trope a lot, I guess, besides Devontae Adams. And overall, Pete, I feel like that's like read the tea leaves of the team itself. And that'll tell you more than I think um, the actual value of the wide receivers as them, you know, as players themselves. Yeah. And I mean, Tube Sox mentioning Malik Willis to Tennessee. We were talking about this on the Swolecast yeah. earlier. I mean, they're clearly made a decision that they are they they might frame it as retooling instead of rebuilding but they aren't pushing their chips all in this year you know they could have done that with aj brown derrick henry ryan Tannehill, run it back one more time afc is getting much harder much more competitive and they decide to reboot it i do think taking a quarterback and getting ready to move on from ryan Tannehill would make a lot of sense and i do think you can kind of read the tea leaves on how these organizations are playing things like on the flip side, you can see the Lions, right? They had a chance to grab one of those quarterbacks. They trade up to get a wide receiver. They're clearly saying, hey, we're going to try to run it back with what McVay did with Goff in, in Los Angeles and surround him with a ton of weapons and see if we get him enough weapons to make us uh, you know, a legitimate threat in the playoffs. So yeah, that's one of the funnest thing about these picks is just to see how the organizations are kind of thinking of their own internal roadmaps. Yeah, I would say overall, a lot of this draft to me read like uh, you know, a lot like a best ball draft would where there's a lot of people kind of focus on the ADPs, a lot of teams in the leagues. It felt like we're kind of taking guys where they were supposed to. Uh, we saw that run on receivers that we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, 10 slot and then on. Um, so overall, I feel like there's some spots that, you know, I think 
the NFL teams slavish to convention, slavish to kind of trends. And we saw both both sides of the wide receiver debate where clearly taking some guys a little bit higher than maybe they needed to go, taking a few guys lower than they needed to go. We could talk about coming up. Uh, but let's talk about the trades. Pete, A.J. Brown going to the Eagles, signs a four-year $100 million deal. I think 57 of that was guaranteed. Titans get the 18 overall pick, which you used on Traylon Burks or, or Traylon Burks. Um, and then also they got the Eagles number 101 pick, which is a third rounder. How do you feel about this trade? I feel like uh, we talked about it yesterday. I'm hearing Philly boots on the ground, people chanting up and down the streets for AJ Brown, throwing parades, uh, featuring giant paper mache versions of his head. I'm excited to see AJ Brown in this offense, Pete, but it does feel like overall, maybe the Eagles overpaying for a player they won't use as much as he probably should be used. Yeah, I, I love this trade for the Eagles. It feels like, you know, almost uh, a mea culpa or an apology or an olive branch to the Philadelphia fan base after what a poor stretch they've had with wide receivers. Um, you know, it did seem for a while like taking Rager over Justin Jefferson would linger as a specter over the organization for the rest of uh, their franchise history. So this seems like a way to kind of move past all of that. And it's like, all right, we, I think they hit on Devonta Smith last year. I think he's good. I think he's going to take another leap this year. And then they said, we still need, need you know significant ammo to to take this offense to the next level and aj brown proven commodity you know what you're getting with him i think from a fantasy perspective we can very um justifiably have volume concerns for him but we also know he's hyper efficient and this offense is going to get better and so yeah i love this for the eagles all around i'm so glad to see that they didn't get bogged down in this like oh maybe jalen hurts isn't our guy it's like no jalen hurts is good Let's build around him. And now I think, you know, if they can have a slight change in their offensive philosophy, which I know is a little bit of wish casting there, but if they can go a little more up-tempo, a little more pass-heavy, I mean, this could be just a super fun fantasy offense. Yeah, I'm intrigued by it. I think, you know, the other part of it that you have to see a little more trust going Jalen Hurts' way. We know that the Eagles had a lot of success down the stretch by deciding to just run the ball more and take the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands. But I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of the football analysis out there has been talking about, including on Football Outsiders, a stream that they were doing right before this show. They were talking about basically the Eagles are really well positioned where if they don't want to keep the down to Jalen Hurts road forever, they can then punt that to next year and you'll know you have the weapons around them that can be uh, whatever the new QB is that could be useful. Having an AJ Brown, having a Devonta Smith, having uh, whatever they do in the backfield, having Dallas Goddard locked down. Like there's a lot of ways for this to work out well for Eagles fans. So I feel like a good trade overall, probably hard to meaningfully change AJ Brown's projection, I would think, Pete. But you think stock up, stock down for AJ Brown or stock just kind of in the middle? I think it's, I think it's probably neutral. Um, I think, I think they're kind of, I think the safe projection will be a similar kind of run pass ratio that the Titans had. Uh, I think it's safe to assume his, you know, level of efficiency. Um, maybe, maybe there's some meat on the bone for more red zone opportunities. Maybe they, you know, they don't have a Derrick Henry in the, in the red zone where the Titans were so reliant on him. So maybe you could up his touchdown expectation a bit more. Um, but I, I, I think relatively neutral, like I can't imagine, you know, wildly pushing him up in best ball drafts and in either direction. I think, you know, I feel pretty cozy with him around, you know, the two, three turn, you know, where he had been going. 
An interesting trade as well with another wide receiver named Brown. Marquise Brown traded to the Cardinals along with a third rounder from Baltimore for Arizona's first rounder, which is 23rd overall. Then they moved, they moved over to the Bills after that to get a little more draft capital coming their way. Uh, this was a surprising one, Pete, one that kind of, I think, was portending more of the future of, of potentially having to pay Marquise Brown. Uh, he's not getting a renewed contract as part of this trade. Just, I guess, excited to play with his former uh, college teammate in Kyler Murray, but is going to the Cardinals. Seems like a somewhat crowded wide receiver core there, given that they're bringing back A.J. Green. Uh, a lot of people were hoping Rondale Moore would end up breaking out this year. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins still certainly there, though coming off of injury, maybe showing some signs of a little too much wear and tear last year. But how are you feeling about Marquise Brown in this spot? Because it feels like if he's going to hit his potential, this is a, a fresh start for him. Lamar Jackson definitely wasn't feeding him the ball like an alpha receiver. And he probably wants to get paid like one, probably thinks he can be one. And I'm curious to see if he can get there, Pete. But I think this has to be a stock up for me. I think it's a neutral one for me, and I, I think I'm slightly on an island on that take. Just from what I've seen, it seems like most people are more excited about this. I, I, I know I even saw a quote from Marquise Brown where he was saying that he didn't like the run-first system with the Ravens, and he wanted to go somewhere that was going to pass more, but... Up to this point, we have not seen a lot of creativity from Cliff Kingsbury's offense. Like the whole promise was the, the vertical air raid, and it's jokingly and rightfully called the horizontal air raid. They didn't find a way to get Rondell Moore touches last year, despite him um, being incredible after the catch. You know, their personnel decisions using Antoine Wesley, AJ Green a lot was always befuddling. And I'm worried that he is still going to be a situational deep threat in this offense. I think there are going to be plenty of you know, spike week opportunities for him, but I'm just not convinced that this is going to result in some big target or, or market share upgrade for him. And I, I consider the Ravens and, you know, the Cardinals offenses to be, you know, equally explosive offenses. So I don't know. I'm just, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I'm not, I don't necessarily see how this is a, a guaranteed slam dunk upgrade for him. Christian Kirk was pretty good last year. Like I know you can make the jokes about the Jags paying him too much. Um, you could also make the jokes about him being propped up perhaps by his hot Instagram girlfriend. I think we can all agree there, but I feel like Marquise Brown, like in this offense, me feels like 1.25 X Christian Kirk, 1.5 X of what Christian Kirk is. And like, and I think that's better than what he had with the Ravens. Like, you know, the Cardinals still love to run the ball too. We saw that with James Conner last year, really having an outlier year, which because he was getting all those red zone looks. I feel like Marquise Brown, like if he's going to succeed, it's probably being that Christian Kirk. And, and maybe DeAndre Hopkins has heard enough that he ends up getting that full Hopkins list workload. And I feel like if that's the case, like this is Brown's best shot to get that $100 million contract, I think. Yeah. And like I said, I think, but we also have to be realistic about what type of a player Marquise Brown is, right? Like, we did see him kind of expanding his route tree a little bit last year. And, and that's really where it comes down to me is how does Cliff Kingsbury kind of use him in this offense? And is he going to be more of a deep threat guy or are they going to work him in and, you know, scheme more touches to him? And that's where I just don't have the confidence because I don't think Cliff has been too imaginative with how he deploys uh, his talent. So, yeah, uh, I think it's interesting, you know, when you think of, Kyler improvising, extending plays, Marquise Brown having plenty of time to get open deep. Like I can definitely tell myself a story where it becomes really fun for fantasy, but uh, dare I say, I feel like he's a better in best ball pick. And I don't think you're going to just feel super comfy locking and loading him in a, in a managed roster every week. No, I think that's fair. I think if the ADP starts to come up significantly on him, I would be feeling a little bit differently. But if it stays where it is, I think he's in a better situation. And Connor making an interesting point in the chat. Kirk had 33% of his targets more than 15 yards down the field last year. 
Uh, if, you know, if we get that kind of look for Marquise Brown, that was the issue it was like you had Mark Andrews taking the very limited passing offense. that was going the Ravens way. Christian Kirk, I think was getting enough work to, to make me feel confident about him. Certainly enough to get himself paid. I think Marquise Brown is a guy that I would want to target. Uh, if, you know, again, if that ADP doesn't get too frothy and Pete, one trade that didn't happen that I thought was interesting. Cause we talked about it on the show. I thought was pretty logical. The Niners rebuffed a trade from the jets, number 10 and a pick swap for Debo Samuel. Seems like the Niners digging their heels in on making Debo play out his contract. Uh, he doesn't seem to want to do that. I know you don't care about the stuff right now. It's a lot of negotiation, a lot of histrionics, sometimes over nothing. But you know, the Niners seemingly locked in here. Debo seemingly locked in on his side with all the social media scrub stuff. Who do you think ends up winning here? Or do you think he just comes back to the Niners and is happy somehow? Yeah, on the one hand, I feel like making a bet against chaos and surprises in this current NFL landscape is a bad proposition just because we have surprises around every corner. But I still think the most likely thing is he stands pat. And it really does seem like the 49ers aren't willing to move on. And I just get the vibe more to that. This is kind of the the petty outward display that we've seen some of these guys do the Kyler stuff. We've seen that get smoothed over. So I, I think they're going to get it smoothed over with him. And uh, I think he's in in San Francisco this year. Yeah, I think, you know, with the way this trade looked where the Jets could have given them the number 10 spots, so they would have had their pick of everybody who wasn't Drake London. The fact that they didn't take that, I mean, maybe an indoctrination on the draft class itself, but I think shows you where they value Debo, where it wasn't a Titan situation where they thought, yeah, we can get 80 to hundred percent of the production that we're getting from this guy in that trade. I feel like in this case for the Niners, they're sort of saying where they are and following the actions, following the draft capital, following the lack of a move here, I think tells you the story. So I would expect this is going to be a drama that carries over in a training camp that maybe they you know bump up his last year of his deal. And I don't know, but it could be one of those weird contracts. They promise lots of franchise tag him heading into next year, but I'm with you. I think they probably hold on to him, but it's mostly out of stubbornness rather than just uh, taking the draft capital. That's there and an opportunity that, you know, might have made the most sense for them to move on right now. Onto the draft itself, though, and if you're watching on Peach Channel or the Splash Play Channel, make sure you hit the like button. It helps us out a bunch as we're trying to build things on YouTube. And actually, Pete, one thing that I know I owe you is some thumbnail headshots because I was actually reading a Netflix article on their tech blog before the. Don't ask how this happened. It was something on LinkedIn. I clicked it, went through. I know, Apparently, I know this anecdote. I've heard about how they A/B test their thumbnails. So they Netflix. A/B test their thumbnails, and now their thumbnails look a lot like YouTuber thumbnails, yeah. where it's like like regular actors, like the Good Place, Kristen Bell. They'll have her being like. Oh, I guess I'm yeah. in heaven. <laughs> like it's a lot of shit like that that I did not know that it's to that level that I guess you know people just like to see when they're clicking on the thumbnail, like to see the human emotion that you that the host is gonna have in the show. And that was like the finding. And it's a crazy article about YouTubers being ahead of Netflix is one thing I wasn't emotionally prepared to know. Yeah, no, I, I listened, I, I heard about it on a podcast. Um, they were talking about that too, and yeah, although it's funny in the context of Netflix being down so bad right now, mm -hmm. uh, actually lost customers. They're kind of, you know, fighting for their life right now. As a tech company, they admitted that for the first time ever, they might consider doing advertisements, which was one of like the founding principles of the site was we're never going to do advertisements. So it's very interesting. But yeah, their data and the way they're able to A-B test different stuff um, is, is massive. And it's the same way that a lot of advertisers do. I was listening to... Um, a podcast with the Morning Brew founder. And one trick they would do, he said, with some of their ads is they would go pay to do a little test run on Facebook. And because Facebook's algorithm is really good, they would do like a $10 AB test, see what performs best there, and then know which one to put in their newsletter that goes out to millions 
of people. So these algorithms like Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, TikTok, they're getting so, so good. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. And then another fun thing now, because I'm nerding out about this, but Morning Brew sends out a test run of their edition every morning to like a list of 20,000 with three or four different subject lines. And then based on the open rates of that, they send out the main one um, to the rest of their list. Yeah, that's very intense. Actually, you know, one thing I also stole from Morning, Morning Brew, I don't know if you guys have seen on social media, Pete, you might've observed, we didn't even talk about it. I started using the splash emoji on stuff because I read Morning Brew, they started using the coffee cup emoji and they thought that was a big part of their social lift. So yeah, look, a little, we pull back the curtains a little bit here, but I just want to say, if you start seeing my dumb face, like, Oh, oh, like shocked in the background. You'll know that it's me finally caving to a thing that Pete has asked for for probably the last six months. <laughs> the uh, the problem, if, if we're fully peeling behind the uh, the curtain here with this thing, is like if and I, I've done this a couple times, like to actually have the thumbnails work, uh, I, we should be creating new thumbnails after the show based mm. on like whatever we end up talking about. Like normally, the thumbnails I'm making are just like, oh, this is generally the things I think we're gonna talk about. Um, but thumbnails that really work, like it all has to work in tandem with the title, the thumbnail. It's frankly exhausting, but, uh, if you want to grow, you have to play the game. Well, so we're, we're going to do it, Pete, and we're going to grow just like the draft did uh, for, I don't know, there's no transition there, but we did a great job with the draft coverage yesterday, and we're going to do it here again, covering all the important defensive players, top five picks, all defensive players, the next two offensive tackles before Drake London goes to Atlanta at number eight. And I honestly, like Pete, I, I maybe care more about the defensive player machinations and stuff, the edge rushers, like football outsiders, like they talk about things that matter for football, edge rushers are a premium, offensive tackles are a premium uh sometimes defensive tackles can be a premium but for the most part i feel like they end up going down a little bit further down the board but like i think the sauce gardner pick for the jets like the jets to me would be a winner of that draft like they got a shutdown corner they got a good edge rusher for cheaper than they could have gotten and then they got garrett wilson who i like a lot and we'll talk about in a second but i feel like if we're going to talk about anybody like sauce gardner didn't give up a touchdown in college that's an insane stat i know it's one that's not going to hold in the pros but like uh, shut down corners to me are going to be the one thing that like even me as a fantasy guy like I only care about offense for the most part I love a good shutdown corner and I will be personally avoiding sauce Gardner Island this year Pete wow you you're already setting up rules in your uh in your DFS optimizer to avoid the sauce Gardner there yeah look just downgrade them 25 percent if they're going against sauce Gardner if they're getting shadow covered by sauce Gardner also sauce Gardner just like a fantastic name like that might be one of my favorite football names because it sounds like a guy that could have been in like the program or a football movie and maybe he's a good guy maybe he's a bad guy that's just sauce Gardner for you yeah uh definitely the best name uh on draft night and uh yeah he was a guy that was getting a ton of a ton of steam I think people thought he wouldn't get past uh, the Giants at least, but yeah, to see the Jets move up and uh, and get him, I'm just offended that they, you know, ESPN still showing his name as a Mod Gardner. I think we should have kind of a global switch to Sauce Gardner because it's just such a good name. I agree. And if you're playing IDP and your league does not have him listed as Sauce Gardner, uh, report them to the higher authorities and let them know. Uh, but we got Drake London at number eight. Pete, you talked about him a little bit. I think it's an interesting trade. I also believe that the Falcons are going to end up with one of these QBs in the second or third round. I think I still think they get Malik Willis just because the archetype makes sense. You can put him in an offense with Marcus Mariota, let him learn there. Uh, Mariota, as long as he stays healthy, will give you you know a decent approximation of what you can get from Malik Willis to start. And then after that, we'll see if he can be better than some of the rookies were last year but i think i like this move a lot like kyle pitts drake london two guys who just get open who have big bodies who can kind of make contested catches probably 
not QB independent. Nobody ever is, but still guys that can be fed the ball and make the most of it, no matter who's out there. I like this pick a lot, and it's not even me being a USC homer. I do think it's not my favorite wide receiver pick. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I like Drake London to the Falcons a lot, and I think he's a very solid pickup here, even if he maybe shouldn't have been the top receiver off the board. Yeah, I think it. I think it's um, they they clearly needed offensive weapons, um, and they clearly needed wide receivers. Had a, a huge hole to fill with Calvin Ridley gone and just a barren depth chart behind him. So I'm very glad that they grabbed a wide receiver here. Uh, and yeah, now they get the kind of twin towers here. It'll it'll take some heat off of Kyle Pitts, who I think was destined to be triple teamed this year without some kind of help there. And yeah, I mean. All of his metrics and stuff point to him being um, a great prospect and someone likely to succeed. JJ here had a tweet of 200 plus pound early declare wide receiver, something we've seen prove to be very important for success rate of wide receivers declaring early. Uh, drafted in the top 10. I mean, this is a pretty good list. AJ Green, Julio Jones, Justin Blackman. All right, maybe not that one. Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Mike Williams, Jamar Chase, Drake London. Like, this is a pretty insane hit rate uh, for these bigger wide receivers taken in the top 10. And uh, yeah, I think it's safe to be concerned about the quarterback situation. But um, long term, I think he's a prospect, a guy that you want to be buying into. And Justin Blackman did flame out, but he was good when he played. Like he was still a monster. And I, I'm intrigued overall by that move with Drake London. And I think um, this is one spot where, you know, my, my good pal, Josh Reynolds, we talked about him yesterday in the ship chasing stream, but like, he's a guy where I don't know what his job is. If you're Olamide Zacchaeus and like you went from being potential wide receiver one and now actually having guys who can create space for you and probably making you look better than you are. I think it's kind of a win for him too. So Falcon stacks, I think, Pete, to me, very intriguing. And I'm also going to be intrigued by the number 10 pick. Garrett Wilson to the Jets, I think, is actually my favorite wide receiver move. This might be controversial, but I think the match of both Zach Wilson getting better heading into year two, having another good young receiver and Elijah Moore, a guy who's you know going to be in his year two, making that jump, but also can just hopefully impart some wisdom to Garrett Wilson as a rookie stuff that he learned, you know, certainly growing along these guys. I like this offense a lot. CJ Ozoma as well, going to be a competent tight end. Michael Carter, we've talked about a lot in this show, a guy who can pass catch, can also run the ball really effectively. I also think the Jets are in the mix for one of the running backs today uh, to make them their 1B running back to Michael Carter. Uh, but I feel like this Jets offense, I like a lot, and I think Garrett Wilson, Pete, would be my favorite ADP wide receiver. Wow. So you're taking Garrett Wilson ahead of Burks in London? Yes, I think I would. I think it's close with me with London. I I like Burks. I don't have the confidence level that the Titans are going to do what people think they might do and actually feed them the ball. Yeah, I, I do think, I think just from a projection standpoint, it's going to be hard to get Garrett Wilson ahead of those guys. That said, are would I be shocked if Garrett Wilson, you know, had the best rookie year of them? I think there's more kind of contingencies here. One, we need Zach Wilson to take a leap and improve. Um, you know, I think the jury's still a little out on what he ultimately can be. And then on top of that, figuring out where does Garrett Wilson fit within the Elijah Moore pecking order? Like, does one of them emerge at, as an alpha? I mean, I guess Garrett Wilson, definitely a better prospect, more draft capital, but Elijah Moore was a guy that was also a great prospect and, and had his moments as a rookie too. So I think, you know, purely from a projection standpoint, you have similar QB uncertainty to London and Burks, but also maybe a little bit more target competition for him as well. And Corey Davis is still uh, a competent wide receiver too. So I could see it. I just think there are maybe a little bit more roadblocks to him smashing compared to, to Burks in London. 
Okay, like I think that's a reasonable take as well. I I guess I'm just more of a believer in how Zach Wilson did come in and you know have some pedigree from college. A guy who was willing to throw the deep ball, was willing to take some risk. He was playing like that last year. They tried to curtail it a little bit, but I think maybe they can get closer to the best version of him this year. And I have no issue with having a Corey Davis out there and uh, Pat Corain, of course, on the screen there doing dual work. Actually working for NBC Sports Edge while doing the stream yesterday, Pete. And uh, I'm sure you're pulling this up for a reason. And it's just another great take by Corain amidst his many. Yeah, he's saying the uh, Garrett Wilson link spot isn't bad. Um, and of course, this is taking a longer view than just 2022. But he says cutting Corey Davis after the season sa saves them $10.5 million. Wilson needs a slight improvement from Zach Wilson and a solid showing as a rookie. And we'll be drafting him in the fifth round of best ball drafts next March. And that isn't even a big leap. I mean, we already see that with where Elijah Moore was going, where Amon Ra was going, where Devonta Smith was going. Like when you flash just a mock, any bit of efficiency playmaking ability as a rookie wide receiver, like, you know, people are willing to bet on you in that, you know, historical second year leap. So yeah, I can definitely see it. Um, I'm, I'm more just curious how he fits in with Elijah Moore. And if one of those guys is, emerges as the true kind of alpha there. I think they're going to move those guys around that that form the formations a lot. Like I think that's something that we saw last year with Cooper Cup have a lot of success, and I think that's one of those copycat league things that the NFL is going to do. So I think you'll see Elijah Moore out of the slot some. You'll see Barrios obviously out of the slot a lot. You'll see a lot of Garrett Wilson moving around. Like I think it's going to be a fungible offense overall, and I'm intrigued to see it because I think it can make some strides. Number eleven, continuing this wide receiver run, the Saints trade up with the Washington Commanders to get Chris Olave. Chris Olave gets a lot of comps to Will Fuller. I've seen. I don't know if there's any you've seen Pete that you want to throw in the mix, but that kind of player, a Will Fuller type on turf, hard to argue. But Michael Thomas coming back, Jameis coming off that knee injury. Um, who knows how that can go? I feel like I like Olave. I get why people are hyped for him. I just think there's a little more. I think he's the peak better and best ball kind of wide receiver out of this rookie class so far. Yeah, um, he's he's harder for me to get excited about. Um, I guess him and Jahan Dotson, who we'll we'll talk about in a second. Um, you know, Alave, a four year guy, now goes to a team that clearly wants to establish the run. They were probably one of the most brutal fantasy offenses last year, um, regardless of who was at quarterback. They haven't, you know, addressed that in any meaningful way. They haven't seemed to let Jameis Winston cook and push the ball downfield. Maybe, maybe they end up letting him do that. And Olave gets a few more deep shots, but we've kind of seen how this works out, right? Like we all got excited about Marcus Callaway in a similar role that I think we project Olave for. And, you know, yeah, he had his moments, but no kind of consistency and just an offense that, that can't support, you know, uh, these non superstar wide receivers on a weekly basis. So, you know, you can tell yourself a story. If Michael Thomas comes back, they let Winston throw a little more. Olave gives them an extra dimension. I can, if I really squint, I can see it. Um, but I'm not going to want to pay a premium for him in drafts this year. Yeah, I think the logic you'd be talking yourself into is that Sean Payton was the one forcing that offense to play more conservatively, and then uh, they did retain their offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael, so he'll be the one calling the plays this year under the promoted head coach, Dennis Allen. So, like, I think that's where the coaching machinations, like, is it just going to be the same old shit Payton was doing, or are they going to try to move it forward? Your guess is probably as good as anybody, but one definitely to keep an eye on, I think, what Carmichael talks about, what Allen talks about in those uh, preseason quotes, and if they talk more about letting Jameis be Jameis, uh, if, if I hear the phrase, let, letting Jameis be Jameis one time, Pete, I'm going to stack up these scenes at every best ball draft we do on the show. 
<laughs> there you go. Please, please make a super cut like they do on John Oliver, where they're able to use that software to pull. I wish we could. I would love to get a hold of that software, you know, where they do those segments where it's mm -hmm. like some newscaster says a funny term and they're able to search for it and like stitch them all together back to back. Um, I, I want to get one of those for fantasy YouTube so we can pull out all the cliches. Yeah, I, I think that's a worthwhile expense. Actually, I think the company that does that, Pete, is like literally $10,000 a month. So if you want to get it, you could. Is that really what it is? We're, yeah, what we like need is, is the company that does that, I believe. We need to like form a DAO and all of us could go in on it and then just uh, share a single login for it. Honestly, I think the fact, I know you said this on lulls before, but the fact you said DAO out loud, somebody's waiting outside with $50 million to give to you for to execute on this concept right now. That's right. That's right. DAOs are the hot new wave. I, that would actually be a wonderful use case for a DAO. <laughs> let, let streamers have access to this very fun piece of software. It Because I had this moment happen a lot where I'll remember something. I think it was for Club Top Shot or something. Oh, the underdog did a special for us on Tuesday. And I ended up doing a Tyler Hero over. And like we had talked shit uh, or Jack had talked shit about Tyler Hero way back in the day. And I like wanted to go find the clip to do it. And I was like, I, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't even know how I would find this clip, but if we, we form this DAO and I'm able to search through archives of content, I mean, the options, the opportunities, you know, the downside is you'd be searching those YouTube captions and it would be like, Oh yeah, I'm searching for Tyler hero. And it's giving you like Guiler zero <laughs> over and over, just every version of the words that sound similar. Yeah, the automatic captioning, not my favorite thing to occur. Lions, though, Pete, trading up to get Jamison Williams at number 12. Uh, you could make a montage of Pete saying in a vacuum, a uh, three hour one. But let's talk about the Lions. So, this move I find perplexing on some level, maybe not. I know you talked about the logic with Jared Goff earlier that when he was the Rams QB, just kind of surrounding him with weapons worked out pretty well. That also is with Sean McVay, a man who just won a Super Bowl and uh, certainly has some great options offensive minds on his staff as well but the lions i just like they got dj chark who is a slightly slower similar version of jameson williams at least in my mind um i pointed out in the show jameson williams one of the top guys beating press coverage which according to sports info solutions is one of those things that does uh, lend itself best to being a top nfl pro prospect uh, drake london was the best beating press coverage though and he saw a lot bigger sample size but jameson williams is good at it so i think you know and on that front it looks okay I just don't know how they have enough to sustain all these guys, Pete. And I feel like if you're paying for DJ Chark, like if I'm DJ Chark, I'm kind of bummed about going there. Whereas I think, you know, heading into the draft, I would have felt like, oh, cool. I'm going to get a good amount of work here. It'll be me. I'm on raw TJ Hawkinson probably calls him Hawk. All these guys getting some looks and you feel good about it. And now it's like, uh, unless Jamison Williams is slower on the recovery from that ACL, I just don't know how there's enough touches to go around for these guys to be really good. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm very excited about this situation. And I, I think last night on chip chasing, I made a comparison to how people were thinking about the Steelers heading into the season last year. And there's this phrase that gets tossed around. Um, you know, they'll you'll either say like there's too many mouths to feed, or people will say like either these wide receivers are way overvalued, or say in the Steelers instance last year, Ben Roethlisberger is way undervalued. And it, it's not actually like a, a binary outcome like that, where it's like all of them have to hit. It's it's the market kind of saying that not all of them will hit, but one of these will hit. And to me, it means that where these ADP settles, you're actually getting a discount on the one or two guys that really massively outperform that. And so when I look at this Detroit offense, DeAndre Swift, Hawkinson, Jamison Williams, Amon Ra, DJ Chark, solid offensive line, I don't necessarily immediately go, oh, Jared Goff is going to be QB5 or all of these guys are going to smash. But I think 
holy cow, these guys are talented. This offense is going to score a lot of points. And I could see a couple of these guys absolutely smashing their ADP. And this is all to circle back to Jamison Williams, who from everything I've read, everything I've seen in his prospect profile looks like the most exciting wide receiver in this class. Like if I had to bet on one guy to be like a, a total superstar of this rookie crop, I think I would bet on it being Jamison Williams. And so I'm inclined to not necessarily worry about the mouths to feed and just really want to sprinkle these guys in knowing the reward could be really good. And knowing that guys like Jamison Williams, you know, I think back to AJ Brown's rookie year. Yeah, it was tough sledding out of the gate, but he flashed. And by the end of the season, he was getting more and more work and then can have those massive weeks for you in BBM three when you need it. So I don't know. I'm pretty excited about Jamison Williams and oddly excited about this Lions offense. I mean, you got to remember that at the end of the season last year, Jared Goff, when he was still playing, was throwing up to 60 times in a game. Like, granted, not the deepest throws, which I think is not fantastic for Jameson Williams. It's still going to be a positive more for Amon Ross St. Brown, for Hawkinson as well. FF Doom thinks the Lions are going to be fun to watch. I agree. Like, I think their defense, you know, having Hutchinson in the mix will certainly make them a little better, but that's not going to change the entire defense that was giving up a lot of production last year. Um, I think, you know, also they play pretty aggressively. It was something I actually was going to say on the stream yesterday, but then somebody else made another point. I was like, I'm not going to step on with my dumb shit but i know it's dan campbell according to our coach rankings was playing as aggressively as anybody in the league last year going forward on fourth downs you know generally playing downfield a little bit more than people gave him credit for um certainly as much as jared goff will give him but i think that's something with dan campbell that like he wants to play hard he wants to play aggressively and wants to go for it in spots other coaches won't so i think overall you're gonna see a lot of variability with this team and a lion stack to me i think in you know in a uh, best ball format for dfs too i think it's gonna be pretty intriguing because these guys are gonna have big weeks I just think for Jamison Williams, like he's not going to get in 50 yard bombs. He's going to be getting five yard passes. He has to take 50 yards and that's kind of a different economy. I know you don't like this pick Pete. I know a lot of sharp guys that we were talking to yesterday in the ship chasing stream. Didn't like this pick commanders getting Jahan Dotson at number 16. They traded back to get him. Um, the comp we had at football outsiders for him was like Jamison Crowder, but with more burst and ability to get to the second level. I don't hate the pick like we gave like the commanders were thrown to Adam Humphreys last year. Curtis Samuels banged up. Diami Brown is, you know, not great. Terry McLaurin proved that he's probably not a true alpha receiver who can get open on his own and, and create that space time and time again. I think it's a perfectly fine move. It, you know, maybe a little bit of an overpay, but they got a guy they wanted, a guy who can play out of the slot, a guy who can actually make some plays. I'm okay with Jahan Dotson, even though he is sort of a uh, sky more Jason, I think we can say. Yeah, to me, like being down on Jahan Dotson is this is one of the the landing spots, I guess, along with the Saints that just really, you know, deflates any possible enthusiasm because we have to be honest with ourselves. Can Carson Wentz support multiple wide receivers on a consistent basis? And I, I don't think the answer is yes to that. I think it's going to be hard enough to keep Terry McLaurin's value afloat. And so now adding Dotson in there, you know, we already kind of saw this last year. I mean, Deami Brown was supposed to come in. Deami Brown was a decent downfield threat as well. And, you know, he never was able to emerge. We can say Dotson is better than him. That's fine. But I just, I do worry about this offense um, and it being able to support a guy like Dotson. And there is, there's still, I think in maybe some other years, Dotson isn't going this high. Um, I feel like he might've been a little bit of a beneficiary of the wide receiver steam across the league and how thirsty everyone was. So I don't know, maybe I'm discrediting him a little bit as a prospect, but I just don't know if he's good enough to transcend this situation. I think he's Carson Wentz's Michael Pittman for this year. Like, I think that's what he is. He's not that good, but I think he's kind of a similar possession guy. You don't guy think Gary McLaurin is his Michael Pittman? 
I think McLaurin is his T.Y. Hilton that he can't get the ball downfield to. Like, I think, you know, Zaxby's saying that I hear Terry McLaurin slander. Like, you remember that period last year, Pete, where McLaurin was 7 to 8K every week and nobody played him and he never made anybody pay for it? No, that, but that's my whole problem. And I, I think it's a pretty big leap to say that Dotson is going to earn more targets than Terry McLaurin as a rookie. That would be, think, that would be astonishing. I think it's an dot question. Like, I think it's a matter of what's Carson comfortable throwing to. Is he going to be comfortable throwing 15 to 25 to Terry McLaurin or five to 10 for Dotson? I think it's gonna be a lot more comfortable throwing to Dotson out of the slot. Yeah. It, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I think they're also, again, with all these rookies right there is, there's a chance they don't hit. There's a chance that they just don't translate. We see that every year. So I think it you you have to hit a multi-leg parlay, right? That that he's good, that he's good enough to even earn targets at a higher clip than Terry McLaurin. And then on top of it, Carson Wentz can get him the ball um a continuous amount of time. I, I just think it's um it's a tough needle for for Dotson to thread in year one. And FF Doom saying you can't compare 83-year-old T.Y. Hilton to F1. It's more of a reflection on Carson Wentz than it is McLaurin. Like, I think McLaurin got a raw deal last year with Heineke. I also think that he's just, like, the point is if you're getting downfield and you're open and Carson Wentz isn't throwing it to you, it doesn't matter if you're T.Y. Hilton. It doesn't matter if you're anybody here. It doesn't matter if you're Jawan Jennings. I don't know why he, he came to mind there. But it doesn't matter who you are if Wentz isn't going to throw it. He's going to throw it to guys that he feels comfortable that he can connect the pass with. I think that's just going to be Dotson more frequently than not. But uh, we'll find out. Like, I, that's one hot take I'm willing to give here. Uh, fun thought trade McLaurin to the Packers. Yeah, the Packers known for wanting to give up draft capital <laughs> for good yeah. receivers. I mean, the the stuff with Aaron Rodgers, Davis had an awesome tweet last night that the Packers are just so committed to the bit. Um, just year, I mean, they bet they better load up on a couple wide receivers here in, in these second and third rounds because it's it's just not fair. I mean, we need to go check back in on the Green Bay betting odds. Like, do you remember when we did our sweep earlier and they were still projecting them? as like the top four for best odds to win the Super Bowl. And I know the NFC is weak, but I, this team has done nothing from a, from a skill position standpoint. Oh, have no fear, Pete. I'm sure I'll be dra dragging that bit back out to look at NFL futures yeah. again. Because uh, I enjoy those segments. And like with the NFL, the way the seasons have gone and all the movements, like you could justify doing NFL futures check-ins every month as like content. Because I think they move around enough and they tell you, like even if you're not taking the bets, like they tell you enough about how the market's reading a season that I think they'll actually be really interesting to see after the draft. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm excited to check back in on them. I was looking, I had pulled up earlier when we were on the Swolecast because I wanted to see the AFC South odds and to see if things had changed a bit with AJ Brown getting shipped out and the Colts had flipped. I actually don't know what it was before, but the Colts were now the the favorites to win the AFC South and had moved past the Titans, which um, I think makes sense uh, with how they're kind of flipping things around. So yeah, we should check back in after the draft on uh, on the conference futures odds. Yeah, guy Andrew is saying that they were plus 1300 right after the Super Bowl. And I checked last night, we're at plus 1100. Uh, so that is a lot of faith in Aaron Rodgers. And look, I, I have an argument for why the Packers are doing what they're doing. Um, Aaron Rodgers led the league in QB DVOA last year. Like, I think they believe that he's the one who's going to drive wide receiver success and not the other way around. Um, whether you believe that or not, we'll, we'll see what they do in the next few rounds. But I think that's that's the logic. I you know I think you could certainly poke some holes in it, especially based on his splits that you could check on Rotoviz and games uh, without Devontae Adams. Traylon Burks, Pete, we talked about him a little bit. So the Titans at number 18 as part of that A.J. Brown Eagles trade. I think this is another, like, it's hard to feel optimistic about a lot of these moves, but I feel like this is a perfectly fine move. I just don't think the Titans are going to like, like change what they are. They were the number one seed last year. Like, why would you start feeding this guy 10 targets a game when you weren't willing to do that with AJ Brown before? So I think that's where I feel with like, 
you know, not as bullish. I think people are going to treat this like, oh man, he's going to be getting so much work. And I think he's just what AJ Brown was last year, which, you know, frankly was kind of disappointing. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. I, like I said, Burks is going to project really well. I mean, there's so many vacated targets there. There's virtually zero competition for targets. Sorry, Robert Woods. Sorry, Austin Hooper. But I mean, if he is the second coming of AJ Brown, like it's, it's going to work out pretty well. But again, like we just said, that's assuming he's as good as his, you know, ceiling projection looks, you know, that that's in the best case scenario. He's AJ Brown 2.0. So yeah, not to mention having to get caught up to speed. He's not going to be a guy that's going to get, you know, eight plus targets out of the gate. Like that's just not how the Titans operate their offense. So yeah, I still see the upside. I'm, I'm going to want to take stabs on Burks. I think he's a pretty exciting guy to draft and, and want shares of, but you have to be really realistic about um, this situation and what this offense is going to be. I also still think Robert Woods is a, a sneaky play there overall, a guy that can be a target monster who can certainly run quality routes, can get into space, assuming that he does you know, heal but properly from that injury. So yeah, I think I, I'm with you on the Burks takes. I guess it's just a matter of where he ends up landing um, in terms of ADPs. And the last fantasy-relevant pick in the first round, Pete, Kenny Pickett, his tiny hands somehow able to get around his face to cry on camera or to shield his face from crying on camera as his beautiful girlfriend consoles him. He goes number 20 to the Steelers, and I think, Pete, he ends up starting this year, but I do think he doesn't start this year as the QB uh, number one for the Steelers overall. I feel like they should have taken Malik Willis. That would have been much more exciting, would have given him room to develop. But I think, Pete, they just don't have a lot of faith in Mitch Trubisky. I think – to me, it's like Trubisky starts four to eight games and then they go to pick it and pick it'll be, I think he'll be decent in this offense. Like he's got weapons. The one thing that he's proven he can be is like a floor QB, a guy who can get the ball where it needs to. But I think fundamentally he's just kind of Mac Jones and I'm not excited about this pick. And I think Malik Willis would have made me legitimately excited. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think if he's Mac Jones, that'll be one of the better outcomes for, for the Steelers here. I think, I agree with you completely. I think they should have taken Malik Willis. I mean, Kenny Pickett feels like in five years, if you're listing off names of random quarterbacks who didn't have a high ceiling, couldn't you see yourself saying Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, Mason Rudolph? Like, isn't he just another of what they already have? At least Malik Willis gives them access to a ceiling, a different type of player. Um, now, like you said, Kenny Pickett's going to what? Sit on the bench, eight, 10 games, come in and then give you the same thing that Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph were giving you. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not excited about it. Older guy, um, limited ceiling. It seems like all the scouts felt that way. On the flip side, we are notoriously bad. Both the NFL fantasy analysts, NFL analysts at, you know, projecting these quarterbacks and who knows, maybe kind of Kenny Pickett is good. Maybe they found their franchise guy. Um, but it's hard to see him separating from Trubisky in a meaningful way. I think he's going to come in and like the fact that he's a pick guy too. They talked in some of the quotes about him. Trubisky's more talented than Pickett. Like, no, he might be on terms of physical tools. Pickett, I think, has a better QB brain, and that's sort of what I think has pushed him up a little more heavily. I think he's in the best possible spot, though. Like Deontay Johnson, I know Matt Harmon's reception perception has had him being one of the best route runners in the league every year. Claypool, we know, get open downfield. So when Pickett is comfortable hitting that deep ball, he could certainly take his shots. Um, whatever they replace Juju with, I think is probably going to be a break even same thing with James Washington so I feel like he's in one of the best spots for him it just would have been like Malik Willis in that black and gold it would have been like Cordell Stewart times a thousand like all the nostalgia there if we want to do some dated comparisons but I think you know ultimately they took you know a median level guy probably because the Steelers believe in defense running the ball and ultimately that could be the best thing for Kenny Pickett's career it's just is the least fun option for fantasy
Boink. Um, and Aaron Pickett does have an ace girlfriend. Oh, is that Boink. Matt knows the name? I did not know the name. <laughs> this is this is this should be the segment where Mathology and you come on and you get to be horn dogs for a second. Honestly, Matt, I think we Pete, we're not doing the offseason episode draft this year. I don't think because we just uh, we have we have some ideas of what we're going to do in the offseason. That'll be fun. We should have Matt on for like an Instagram girlfriends episode just to talk through it. Nothing you guys could do that when I'm on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think nothing misogynistic, more just like through the prism of the of the boyfriend, you know? Oh, yeah. Through the prism of the boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah. totally. (laughs) uh go looking ahead pete for for day two coming up tonight and i know the that um gretch and and sean siegler are going to be doing some rotovis streams but there's nothing else is, is underdog doing another one today is, is norris getting back up to bat i'm not sure i think they were doing a stream this afternoon breaking stuff down i don't know if they're doing another live stream but yeah i know uh ben and sean are going to be going live uh tonight at 7 p.m eastern over on the rotovis youtube channel yeah, so I would say go check that out. You know, certainly guys are going to give you really good takes and the skill position guys that should be flying a little more freely in round two and round three. Uh, but it does seem like, Pete, the biggest surprise tonight, and I think this is I will dig my heels in. I think Malik Willis goes, and I want to say the first two picks of the second round, but somebody trades up to get him. I think it's the Falcons. I know people are talking about the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are very comfy, uh, to use your ver- vernacular there. I think they're very comfy with Drew Locke, and I think they're going to ride this one out and see how that goes. And if he's really bad, then they'll start over with a top QB next year. But I think they're going to give him the shot. So I think Malik Willis, he goes high and he goes to one of those guys. But what storylines are you caring about the most here for tonight? Yeah, I mean, Malik Willis is a big one. Obviously, uh, excited to see where Desmond Ritter goes as well. Um, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker. I mean, those two guys, I think you know, clearly separated from the rest of this class. So uh, landing spots going to be really interesting for those guys. And then, yeah, some of these other wide receivers that were rumored to maybe sneak into round one that didn't sky Moore, George Pickens, Christian Watson, excited to see where these guys go. And like I said, we, we, we went through all the wide receiver landing spots and none of them are just like tantalizingly juicy, right? We didn't get the Traylon Burks to, to play with Aaron Rodgers or, you know, Jamison Williams going to the chiefs. You know, we didn't get that one. That's just a no brainer slam dunk. So if we get a sky more Christian Watson, George Pickens to one of these teams with a, a top 10 quarterback, I think that will make things very interesting. Um, and we always get that battle of what do we value more the draft capital or kind of the landing spot. And I think we might get some, some good, uh, ways to test this depending on where some of these guys go. I also think one interesting too, for the running backs, like I think Brees Hall not getting taken in the first round was a sign that uh, the GMs out there are viewing this as a more flat class. than I think some of the fantasy people projected um, Brees Hall, I think in a similar tier to Kenneth Walker, similar tier to Isaiah Spiller, um, maybe even the Tyler Beatty's of the world. I know people out there apparently like Kyron Williams. There's some guys out there who can bubble up, uh, you know, Cook is another guy that could be there. Brian Robinson. Like there's a lot of backs that have different purposes and utility. Uh, Robinson, more of a battering Ram guy, like Walker, more of a pass catcher. We've talked about some of these guys, Brees Hall, the Jonathan Taylor comparison, but overall, like, I feel like it wouldn't shock me tonight if Brees Hall didn't go first amongst the running backs, Pete, would you be shocked if that were the case just based on team needs and fits? I would be shocked if Brees Hall isn't the first quarterback off the board. I, all indications are that, he will be, I think he's a, a much better prospect than Kenneth Walker has a little bit more of an all around game. Uh, so yeah, I would be very surprised, uh, if, if Brees Hall isn't the first one off the board. Uh, yeah, I, and I, I think we'll see him go in these first 12 picks or so in the second round, because in, I guess I would push back a little bit on 
Brees Hall slipping out of the first round being an indication that the teams view this draft class as flat. I would say it's more just the NFL market maturing and realizing that it's a very bad use of draft capital to use a first round pick on a running back where I do think if this was five years ago, Brees Hall is probably going in the top 15 picks. Okay. I think that's a reasonable take too. Look, I, you know, we, we got to dig our heels in it and kind of say we're reviewing it, but I think your opinion is probably more valid than mine. I would just say from my perspective, like somebody trading up to take a running back at the end of the first, like, I feel like that's been a tale as old as time. And I refuse to believe the league is smartened up that much based on everything else we know, but I could be wrong. Anything else you want to touch on Pete, or should we do a quick speed round through USFL DFS week three? Yeah, let's do a quick speed round here. And to transition us over, I did just see this. Uh, did you see this TikTok of someone on the gamblers? <laughs> he says like a cigarette in his mouth during these drills. I mean, that's a vibe. I'm into it. <laughs> Part of me feels like, and I think we should give our state of the USFL address up top. Like they should have planned this league for either right after the Super Bowl or right after the NFL draft. Like, even this weekend, like my enthusiasm for the USFL is is so low and like, and I want to be into it, but like, I'm really a lot more excited about the draft right now. And I just think it's a lot of things here, you know, just general lack of excitement, the overall kind of middling nature of the product, but I just feel like we're going to keep covering the USFL and maybe we'll get that second win. But for right now, this weekend, Pete, I, I have to say, I'm not feeling it. I'm with you, man. I, 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 yeah, I think you and I do a good job of being transparent and honest. And I just have, I, I, I was hoping I would catch the fire for USFL. I tried, we put our heart and soul into it and I just, I have not been, been feeling it. Um, I don't know if it, it all was downhill after that Rocky DraftKings rollout for week one. I think I am going to play. I think what I'm going to do this weekend is um, just because I don't want to be managing like late swaps and stuff quite as much with my roster over the weekend is I think I'm going to pick my spots and play, um, maybe one of the showdown slates instead of the, the four game slate. But yeah, I I'm with you. It's, uh, it's been tough. And I, I do think the other take I've had is I wish all the games were stacked at the same time. And you could have like a fun little red zone experience. It's like, all right, this is just three hours on your Sunday afternoon. You build your lineups, you get to sweat them all at once get to see mostly highlights with a red zone style product, like anything like that, I think would have been better overall. I think they're ultimately demanding too much of our attention with how they're trying to spread this thing out. And it's like, I'm sorry, but you can't expect us to watch four of your games every weekend during NBA playoffs, NFL draft, all this stuff. Yeah, look, I, I can see that take. I think that's a reasonable one. And um, Pete, I'm actually, we're not going to go game by game for this one, I think, or, or we can, but I don't want to force you to or, or force really everybody out there to. We can talk about the totals real fast. So the Bandits Gamblers is one of the games. 20 implied points for the Bandits. They are the favorite, uh, despite being the road team, quote unquote. Gamblers, 18 and a half implied points. Looks like the top projected guys are going to be Jordan Tayamu, who's been very disappointing. Seems overpriced according to all the projections on Osmo and Run the Sims. BJ Emmons, a little more reasonably priced for a running back at 93 on the other side, you have Mark Thompson, pretty decently projected. Clayton Thorson, mediocrely projected. Uh, Sim-wise, Pete, anything jumping out for you? I feel like JoJo Ward is the one discrepancy I'm seeing where Run the Sims has him getting zero. Osmo has him getting 9.5. I'm not sure if that's an injury that hasn't been updated yet or what. Yeah, I think uh, I think I saw Logan. TJ Logan's going to be out, so Jordan Ellis popping here. Oh. Uh, at 5,400 showing up in almost 50% of lineups. Uh, also, Larry Rose getting a bump as the presumed uh, second 
uh, running back there. And then, yeah, FF Doom uh, saying watching uh, our breakers with Adams was actually fun, uh, but I'll never watch another second of Panthers football ever again. Yeah, Jonathan Adams, he's been, dare I say, the grown-ass man of the uh, USFL, making mm-hmm. some pretty sick catches there along the sideline. And I'm surprised his his price is so low here, only at 3800 just from kind of the play mac- playmaking flashes we've seen from him. So yeah, a um, couple of more expensive guys. Sloter, obviously the cat's out of the bag on him. Have to pay 9,700 for him. Uh, Brian Scott up here at, at 10 K. Um, but yeah, I don't know anything else. Interesting jumping out to you. Our pride, Sal Canella. Yeah. Sal Canella, I think is a pivot play to Adams. I would say the same for Johnny Dixon. If you are going to take a Sloter stack and I uh, know TJ Logan's pretty big, if that's the case, because Jordan Ellis is, been pretty much a one-to-one replacement for him and it's been a timeshare and Ellis is pretty cheap so I would think he's going to be the chalk this week I would also say if you are going to watch one USFL game the Saturday game with the Stallions and the Breakers probably going to be the best one you have Jamar Smith in that game Victor Bolden who's also been pretty exciting Osiris Mitchell's made some big plays and I would say like I guess this is now what it is as a segment Pete is like if you're going to watch one USFL game watch this one and then just don't watch any Panthers games try to avoid any Generals games like it's a really uneven league in a way that is just not 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 making for a great product, but that that's what happened in the XFL too, right? Like a couple of those teams, you know, emerged and then it was like everything condensed around them. That's why I promise I'll stop saying this red zone take, but it's like when there's only one or two good teams, like I, you, you can't expect people to sit through those full games. At least if you had them stacked, you could just show the best game, the most exciting plays over and over and then be like, yeah, we'll check in in the same way. We just check in on the Browns or the Jets games, you know, on a, on a Sunday, uh, just a couple of times because there's not much happening. So yeah, I wish they would have thought that through a little bit more from a fan and in viewing and product perspective, because now this cat's out of the bag and people are just going to skip those Panthers games and those generals games. Like no one is lining up to watch those. Yeah, just a little bit of arrogance to the approach overall that I think, you know, assume that people would want to watch this and love it. And and we wanted to watch and love it. And it's just, I, I just don't have time to do three days a week of a new thing. Like, that's just not where I am in my life. And one guy I need to point out real fast in that ugly uh, Maulers-Panthers game on Sunday, uh, Bailey Gaither, 4,800, does seem like he projects really well, according to Osmo and Run the Sims. Had a big breakout game last week uh, with no Jeff Thomas. Jeff Thomas looking like... I think he's going to be out again. So that should mean Bailey Gaither going to look like a pretty good value. Um, any final words, Pete? Of course, we're going to come back on Monday at 2.30 to finish up our NFL draft analysis. Um, is there going to be anything on underdog to play on Monday? Yeah, so I'm what I I, I meant to tell you, uh, I, I had asked Rudman, like point blank on the underdog stream last night, what time he thought BBM3 might be posted. He was saying mid to late morning um, like 10 30 or 11. So my hope, I wanted to kick off my best ball breakfasts. I did those traditionally at like 10 AM. So my hope is to do one around 11, 1130. And then I'm definitely down to run it back with splash play and do, uh, another draft. Um, but yeah, I assume the contest will be open by the time we go live on Monday afternoon. And I love that you have to pay for the big tournament now. So I get to finally rake in. Well, I was actually thinking about this. I might have you do because I'm going to be, we're, we're going to get the prize pool announced. Actually, I should pull this up. This is well, not the official prize, right? They so we know the prize pool. We don't know the exact uh, prizes. I, I, I'm, I'm privy to uh, what the top few are, but I thought I'd pull this up because Justin, uh, of course, being a, a robot and a sicko, decided to take a stab at what he thought the prize pool could be, knowing the general parameters. This was his uh, stab here, $2 million to first. 1.5 to second, uh, 1 million to third. We'll obviously know for sure on on Monday, maybe sooner, but I uh, thought this was fun to take a peek at. 
Okay. So wait, so what, how did that affect your, like, are you saying you don't want to split with me now? Is that what we're, do I have to pay? For oh, sorry. Anything? I meant to say, no, I'm just saying like, I want to, I might be more protective of my 150 bullets. Like I'm definitely going to max it out. Um, and if you're not maxing it out, then I might want to have us do some splash play ones on your account. Okay. Um, yeah, if there's a way to do that, I, I don't mind doing it because I can share my screen on this side of things, right? Of course. Yeah, you can okay. always share your screen, Spags. <laughs> Fine, we can. What what bullshit? I, I have to max it out with good entries. I can't do. <laughs> I mean, Spags, the pressure's on this year. I've 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 had back to back years finishing top ten in underdog tournaments, and this tournament's going to be massive. Justin's projection to make this prize pool work: four hundred forty thousand entries. I think we're going to be, you know, in that range probably. It's going to be hard, Spags. I need every bolt in the chamber, and I can't have you forcing me to take Melvin Gordon in the ninth round. You mean you steamrolling me when we, we could take Melvin Gordon to be perfectly productive? And Paul gets spiky. it. Paul gets it. You got to draft all the dusty old players on your own time, bud. I've been a, I've been adapted to the, the times. I won't take Mike Davis. I can't. I, I meant I, not sharing the screen on StreamYard. I don't know. You can't sometimes do that as a guest. No, you can. Uh, also, Paul, I appreciate this plug because uh, very germane to this conversation. I'm going to have a new video out uh, probably Monday or Tuesday um, on that channel focused specifically on best ball strategies for BBM3 looking at the win rate specifically for BBM2 and kind of splicing that data. I worked with Michael Dubner uh, over at Rotoviz, who was on the ship chasing stream last night, looking at not only advancing to the playoff rates, but also semifinal advancement rates and finals advance rates and kind of drawing some conclusions on the varying structural strategies, which everyone loves to argue and debate about. So that video is going to drop uh, on Monday or Tuesday. That's the Deposit Kingdom YouTube channel. Would love if you subscribed over to that new channel. It will be a, a shorter video, 12 to 15 minutes really highly produced uh, and will I value your time with those videos. Well, since Pete got a plug in, so I'm going to get one in for Football Outsiders as well. Uh, make sure you go over to footballoutsiders.com and uh, really check out the articles that are coming up there. One, uh, similar to what Pete's talking about with his best ball strategy, I'm having our football analysis, our analyst rather, uh, Scott Sprouty, who does season-long fantasy. He's actually using some of our advanced data processes to dig into some of the underdog data that's out there. So um, coming in with a fresh set of eyes as well. He's not been a guy that's played a ton of best ball, been more focused on season-long and his projecting there. But I think had some interesting takeaways on QBs, in particular ones that that end up leading to outlier performances in the BBM and some of the other tournaments. So that's coming out of Football Outsiders. I'm excited to see it there. I'm excited for them to use some of their um, smart analytic minds for some of the stuff that we talk about on this show as well. Uh, so go check that stuff out, and I'll certainly give an update here when that's out on this show. Make sure you go follow at Peter Overs at follow at Chris Spags, follow at Splash Play Pod, and enjoy the rest of the NFL draft, guys. We'll see you Monday, 2.30. Have a great weekend. Bye. <laughs>